You're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hello, friends. Welcome. Glad you could join me. Nick Conley is my guest today. He is a former Division I athlete at Nichols State University. He played on their Southland Conference championship football team. He's now working in sales in the greater Houston area. He and I first met. Well, I'll let, you, I'll let him tell you how we met. Nick is part of my one-on-one coaching program, which he says has added structure to his life. Nick is easily one of my best students or clients. I say student because there's a lot of teaching and learning going on. And I say client because all our conversations are confidential. But Nick is a great student. He's done everything I've asked him to do. And now after only a year of working with him, I have gotten to witness his maturity and his ascendance through the ranks. And he's getting to move on to bigger and better things. It's awesome to see him start to reap the early returns of a disciplined life. And I'm of the opinion that once you get the taste of early returns, whether it be a big jump in income, a growing bank balance, or finding yourself in a better, higher energy environment, or even when you, when you start to shed dead weight and surround yourself with better people, when those things start happening for you, it's a snowball effect and the world starts to open up even more. The rich get richer. When you're a good steward of your money, the good Lord sees to it that you get more money. And so in this episode, I asked Nick about his personal development quest. He is journaling regularly. He reads a book a month. I've had him read books like Think and Grow Rich, The Richest Man in Babylon. And now he's reading Phil Knight's memoir called Shoe Dog. So we talk about some of the books that he's reading We talk about how he has set up his personal finances in a way that will enable him to build massive wealth. He talks about the key benefits that he's getting from journaling, which for him have been keeping track of goals, reduced anxiety, and getting from the day instead of getting through the day. And what I mean when I say that is that you can take note of the good and bad of what is happening in your day in your daily interactions, who you've met, what did you learn, how did the conversation impact you, what resonated, those sorts of things. And so by doing so, you become a student of your own life, and Nick is so committed to that process that he is going to continue learning and growing, and his trajectory is is on a skyrocket, on a, a rocket to the sky right now, because he's recently taken a high-paying job. He's expanded his comfort zone by leaving his uh, small town in Mississippi and moving to Houston. And in addition to the fundamentals that he's putting in place in his early 20s, he has traits that you really can't coach. And he's going to hear this for the first time from me, but he's got traits like a willingness to have uncomfortable conversations. He kind of thrives in those situations. He's constantly looking for ways to expand his comfort zone. He 
probably what most impresses me about him is that he prepares for opportunities as well as anybody I've worked with. So his experience playing college football as a quarterback means that he spent a lot of time preparing in film rooms and on the practice field. Well, he's taken that approach, that transferable skill, transferred it to the working world, to the corporate world. And so just as an example, last month when he was interviewing for a job, he called me and said, hey, can we role play for this job opportunity? And so we did. And after his series of interviews, I asked how it went. And he said, well, I felt like I was overprepared. Like they asked me questions that were just a little bit easier than the questions you asked me in our role plays. (laughs) And so, of course, that was music to my ears. But it's just it's awesome to to witness someone's growth and maturation before my eyes. And I just thought this would be a fun conversation. And especially younger folks who are looking for some insight into what other 20-somethings are doing to help to set themselves up well for the rest of their lives. They would, they would get that from a conversation with Nick. So this is a fun one, folks. I hope you enjoy my chat with Mr. Nick Conley. Nick, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you. Brad, it's an honor to be here, man. I appreciate it. So you just moved here from Jackson, Mississippi. That's correct. What do you think of the big city of Houston so far? Man, let me tell you, I don't even know where to start, but I guess I'll have to. But um, I would honestly say it's a lot more people than Mississippi, obviously. And really the big thing that I've noticed is the hustle in everybody. So, for example, when I get on the interstate every morning at, at 630, man, everybody's just locked in, ready to go. Like, and, and I'll watch people. I mean, I'm a kind of a people watcher. I don't know about you, but I'll kind of like stalk people, look in their window and see man they got their hair slicked back they're just ready to roll and that that's i guess that's the biggest thing people are just focused and um just ready to seize the day it's crazy you say that because i went to a funeral in mississippi several years ago and this young guy was asking me what's houston like and i told him it's hustle town and even on the weekends you'll see people just trying to better themselves i'll tell you in, in the cypress area um really anywhere where there's there's jogging trails and and bike trails you see people always jogging i mean whether it's sunday or or saturday uh there's people always working out there's more gyms out here there's there's la fitness and like there's a there's a better variety of gyms and and everything so i think people are just just nonstop out here like that's the biggest thing i can tell yeah people on the self-development quest that are trying to make as much money as possible upgrade their lifestyle, working on their fitness after work, or they're taking a a break during the day from their work to go to the gym or go to the park and go for a run. I love it. It's very high energy. I heard you telling my wife that even on the interstate in the morning at 6.30 a.m., there's just such an intensity about the way people drive, right? They're just very focused. And I could see the contrast between Mississippi would be vast, right? Yeah, vast. And and another thing that is like, just blows my mind is in Mississippi, man, it can take you, you can get in your car for 10 minutes and be, it feels like across half the state. But if you get in your car 10 minutes here, you're out of your driveway. Like, it's just crazy how just big this place is. So you mentioned Cyprus, is that where you're living now? 
Uh, I actually live in Spring, so it's near the it's near Conroe, and then uh, another landmark would be the Woodlands Mall. Uh, so I'm I'm right down the street from uh, Woodlands Mall, and my fiance actually lives in Cyprus in the Fairfield area. Uh, so that's where she's from. So I, I'm back and forth between uh, Cyprus and Spring. And what prompted you to move here? I, I got engaged about three months ago um, to my. I always say girlfriend, but I get in trouble for saying that. My fiance now, uh, and she she's from Cyprus. And then, um, just I wanted a better opportunity. I, I wanted to to better myself and and better my career, and uh, just just expand and get out of my comfort zone. And you went to Nichols State University, right? Where we went to the same alma mater. That's right. Go Colonels, baby. Do you remember the night we met? Uh, yes, I do. It was around this time, actually. Golly, two years ago. It was 2018. I know that's for sure. Yeah, and we were playing I, one of the Houston teams, I believe, Houston Baptist. Coach Rebo, he, he he loved to – he's a big motivational guy. And for those for those listeners out there, that's our, our head football coach at Nickel State. He's a big motivational guy. And uh, he would always have, like, very interesting guests. And, and a lot of times they would be big rah-rah guys, like, just to motivate you and – and uh, get you to run through a brick wall. But when Coach Rebo would have speakers, they would be pertaining to football. But I thought Brad stuck out because he was pertaining to life, like life after football, um, what we needed to hear because sports are going to end for everybody. I mean, whether you like it or not. So Brad got up there and and did his presentation, and uh, it stuck with me. I mean, he just said what he did, how disciplined he was, in college and I, I wanted to to replicate that so i'm not exactly sure I, I may have spoken to you after i believe i said hey but nothing too crazy and then about a year after that is when i uh i slid in your dms is what the kids call it nowadays i i dm'd you on twitter yeah man now we're here so that's right so you're part of my coaching program what have you gotten from my coaching? How has it benefited you, do you think? Uh, I've definitely noticed my life has better structure. So before I started talking with you, like I would just wake up in the morning and, and just not have any schedule towards the day um, and, and not keep track of my what I spent or what I did, good and bad things that happened. And, and what Brad has taught me is that Every successful person, like whether it's a thousand years ago, whether who, whoever it may be, whether it's Benjamin Franklin or whoever, they're very disciplined people. And that's what you have to be in order to, to uh, achieve success. So what he has me doing is he has me journaling and reading. And you may think this is, it's, it's stupid, but it actually helps. And what journaling does is it reduces your anxiety. It keeps track of the good and bad. So you replay the film of every good and bad thing you did throughout the day or throughout the week. And then reading. So reading a book. And that's a goal that that we have started to read a book a month. And like I said, this has only been a year that we've known each other. And ever since then, my life has changed. And, and I'm going to stick with it and continue to grow. That's awesome. So what are some of the books that you've read this year? Yeah. So the first book that 
I read was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. I actually bought that off your website um, via Amazon. So I read that. I read Richest Man in Babylon, um, Think and Grow Rich. And uh, those are like the three that really stuck with me. And now I'm reading um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. What's the one? The History Lessons. It's like a 70-page book. The Lessons of History? Lessons of History. That's right. Will and Ariel Durant. That is one of the best books of all time. Pretty much all the books that you mentioned there are really good. What resonated most from each of those books? Let's take Think and Grow Rich, for example. What sticks with you from that book? So Think and Grow Rich, honestly, like to be transparent, it was a hard book for me to to understand as far as the vocabulary went. Um, and sorry, sorry to like flip the switch on you, but I think Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that, that book has changed my life because when I read that book, one, it was easy to understand, and two it made you realize that it's almost like work harder or, or work smarter, not harder. So basically the book is talking about how, uh, when Robert Kiyosaki, the author, I'm not going to give away too much, but when he was growing up, he had a, he had a friend and his dad was an entrepreneur and Robert Kiyosaki's dad got his masters and, and spent all this money on degrees. And it turns out that the, his friend's dad had people working for him and his friend's dad was paying people. Whereas Robert Kiyosaki's dad was part of the system. So that book I think has really resonated with me. Are there any changes to your personal finances that you've made as a result of reading rich dad, poor dad? Uh, yes. One of the things that he talks about in his book is always pay yourself first. So where like I get paid weekly. So every time I get paid weekly, I always transfer money into my savings account before I do anything, before I pay my rent or go buy groceries. I'll always slide, you know, however much money it is into my savings account. Um, and then really just, just living within your means and, and not trying to impress people. I think that's like, especially with social media nowadays, Instagram and Twitter, and I'm even guilty of it. I, man, I'll look at like Dan Blazarian's Instagram or something, or some millionaire with a Lamborghini, and I'm like, man, why can't I? Why can't I do that? He's only a few years older than me. Why can't I do that? So that's what those books have taught me. Just really, just how to grow as a person. I like that. The high-paying job that you landed here. How did you go about getting it, and what is it that you're doing? Maybe start with what you were doing before when you first graduated from college, which was 2019. Yeah, May of 19. Okay. So your first job was doing what? Well, my first job was I worked with New York Life and it's a strictly commission job. Um, so I, I started with that about a year ago and I had no idea what I got myself into. So I had no idea. I had no sales pitches. I had nothing. I had no idea how to cold call people. So uh, that's when when Brad really helped me um, with setting up weekly phone calls and how to develop sales pitches. Um, 
you know, in order to get clients to buy life insurance. And like I said in the beginning, life insurance, when you get into life insurance, it's a strictly commission job. So you have to sell in order to, to make a living. So I, I needed guidance and I needed proper training. So that's when I got Brad and, and um, he helped me develop. And, and now um, that helped me boost and, and transition into a, a, a great job in Houston. So we set some goals for you. Give me an idea of where you were in terms of the self-assessment that we did. And then what kind of goals did you set? And maybe talk about how you're tracking toward those goals or maybe goals that you've accomplished. Yeah. So one of the goals was to read a book a month. Like it doesn't seem like that crazy of a goal, but one book a month. And I've, I've done that. So that's an example of a goal we had. Um, just read one book a month. And then another goal was to journal every night. So kind of like I said <clears throat> in the beginning, um, journaling, journaling is huge. It helps you uh, review the good and bad of the day. And so those are two, two good examples right there. How do you see changes in yourself as a result of journaling? Yeah. So the big thing about journaling is that it helps you correct your errors. So if I'm at work and I get an objection from somebody, if I walk up to a customer um, and they object, I will go home that night and I will write what they said. And then that next week when Brad and I have a phone call, he will say, this is what you need to do in order to correct that mistake. I like that. How did you go about getting the job that you have now? LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is the best place to find. People say Indeed is, um, but Indeed is is mainly a third party from the, res from the research I've done. So the best way... Um, and this is advice to anybody who's listening that is in search of a, of a new job. I would go to LinkedIn and look up managers um, and just hire up people of that company. And that's what happened. That's how I got this job. I, I was on LinkedIn and it actually showed my manager viewed my profile. So I reached out to her. I said, hey, you know, I'm trying to get to Houston. Is there any chance you could give me an opportunity? And uh, we went through a, a five interview process, actually. And I had to drive for the second interview. I had to drive to Alabama, actually. Um, and I was serious about the job and I prepared and, and I felt like I overprepared, which is, which is, I think the best thing I could have done, you know, with your help, I, I got the job. In what ways did you prepare? I treated it like a football game, you know, be, being a quarterback, you have to prepare for the coverage that maybe a defense is going to throw you because you don't know what they're going to throw you. Just same, same with a, with a uh, interviewer. You don't know what they're going to ask you. So I would go online. I would go to um, Glassdoor and see, uh, you know, questions that people have been asked by this company. So I did that. I, I reviewed them and uh, you even helped me out. Like I said, with questions they would ask and, and we even role played. So, um, I felt like uh, I felt like I was I never prepared as much as I have for that opportunity, and I seized it. Do you remember questions that you got that would be helpful to somebody who's young and interviewing nowadays? Like, what kind of 
questions did you maybe struggle with? Uh, one of the few questions were, uh, give me a time that you failed. Mm. Um, <clears throat> another question is, what do you regret most about college? Oh, interesting. Yeah. How'd you answer that one? Yeah. I said I didn't nurture enough friendships. I, I didn't spend qu- more quality time with uh, teammates or friends. Did you have friends that weren't teammates? Because there's something like 65 guys on a football team. You got mm. plenty to choose from. And you spend so much time with your teammates. Yeah, you think you get sick of them. I know, right? No, man. I, all of them. All my roommates were on the team. You're always together. So you really don't have a lot of free time. During the game, you're with them on the sideline or on the field. And then after the game, you go out with them. And then Sunday morning, you have weights with them. So it's it's nonstop. I mean, it's like they feel what you're going through, you know? So if you have – if you're dealing with anything, they'll be able to to help help you cope. So that's what I think is good about team sports. Talk about when you were recruited to go to Nichols because – at Nichols, we have or had the best quarterback that we've ever had playing yeah. there. And he was playing there before you got there, right? Yeah, he was. And y'all are the same age? No, he's a year younger. Okay. Oh, that might make it so, a little so worse he was a, even. He was a uh, true freshman starting. Wow. Okay. So how do you deal with knowing that they have a, a stud starter who's a year behind you? And you're going to play quarterback there. Yeah. So the first two years of my college career were spent in junior college. After my sophomore year in junior college, Nichols gave me an opportunity to come play. And it was Division One college. And that was my lifelong dream, just to play Division One. Like, that's all I've ever dreamed about. And <clears throat> I took that opportunity. And just like every athlete, you have to be confident. Like you can't go into somewhere and don't think you're Billy Badass. So, yeah, you have to be super confident at whatever you're doing in order to be successful. So that's what I did. So I went to Nichols and I knew that Chase was there, but I didn't care. I mean, that's just the 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 ego you have to have. Chase 4K. Yes, Chase 4K. He's a four-year starter um, at Nichols State from 2016 to 2020. Uh, he's an NFL free agent right now. Um, he started against the University of Georgia as a true freshman and nearly took them down, I mean, by himself, literally. And then um, he beat Kansas. Well, not I mean, he didn't beat Kansas, but we beat Kansas. Um, and he was he was a, the centerpiece of Nichols. I mean, he's the mayor of, of that place. So, I mean, he'll be able to get free alcohol and free food there for the rest of his life. Um, he actually has a painting. <clears throat> I know majority of you probably are saying, well, where is Nickel State? But Nickel State is in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And really the only highlight about Nickel State is the Manning Passing Academy every year. And it's Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, and Archie Manning. They host a camp there. And they invite all the top college quarterbacks you know, obviously Chase is going to get invited because, I mean, he's he is nickel. He literally is Nickel State University. But it's funny because our our bar there, we ha- we have two bars there. Um, Rocks is they painted a a shrine of Chase throwing a football. 
So where is that? Over by the dance floor? Or? As Ro- soon Roxas as you walk is in. my spot too, by the way. <laughs> as soon as you walk in, just straight across. Okay. Yeah, and all the females are just like slobbering on them <laughs> on the wall. He could have had any chick at Nichols? Is that how it was? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's any chick. Any chick in Louisiana, I think. I mean, he's from New Orleans. Um, so Chase, I'm sure you'll listen to this and you'll probably have a few laughs, but yeah, no, he, he, he can, uh, he can do anything he wants. Does he have a girlfriend? Yeah, he does. He settled down now. He, yeah, he does. Well, good for him. I had a chance to spend some time with him when I talked to the team a few years ago. He is a great kid and I understand his brother has cerebral palsy. Is that right? But yes, he does. Um, and that's Chase's really that's his inspiration because chase uh i want to say chase had an offer from maryland which is a a power five school in the acc and um he took a visit out there and he just didn't want to be far from home so he just stayed home and, and represented you know his home state and his his uncle and his dad actually were nfl players so they were at every game so you had to prepare for every game as if he were to go down with an injury. What yeah, is that like? Man, it's it's tough because it takes a toll on you, man, because every day at practice you prepare like a starter and then every Saturday you don't even see the field. So it it gets it it emotionally drains you. I would imagine. I mean, it it just it Have you ever had like a crazy girlfriend that, that like never ju- <laughs> that just like plays mind tricks with you that's what it feels like it's like football is like a crazy ex-girlfriend that's like teasing you and doing all this stuff and that's what it felt like honestly there were i mean there was a lot of times i was depressed man there was a lot of times where like i couldn't sleep at night and just just like look up at the sky and be like man you know i always dreamed about being peyton manning or <laughs> drew Brees, but you know, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. And you just got to accept the fact that you're not going to play. How did you cope? Man, I would I would just put on a, I mean, it sounds cliche, but just put on a smile every day at practice and really just fake it till you make it. Yeah, try to be the best teammate you can be. Yeah, but on, I mean, on the inside, you just feel like crap. Like, you just feel like crap and... It's got to help, though, that he's so good. I mean, if you were similar in caliber, and I have no idea how good you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, we're not similar in caliber. He's like, his pedigree is, I mean, he was doing drills and stuff when he was probably three years old. I mean, his dad was an NFL linebacker. His uncle was an NFL quarterback. So, I mean, you can only imagine what the kid was doing at two, three years old. Could you have gone to a lesser school and played? Yeah, and I think about that a lot, actually. Nick, why didn't you go to Division Two, and you could have, you know, racked up a bunch of yards or Division Three? But something about it, man. I, I just wanted to. When I get old and gray, I want to be able to tell people I played Division One football. Like that's really the whole gist of it. And you probably benefited greatly from the experience, not only overcoming all of the emotions that you dealt with week in and week out, but you learned to be a good teammate. You learned to put a smile on your face. You learned to lift others up even while you might have been struggling internally. 
Like, what were the coaches telling you when they recruited you? Were they saying, hey, you're going to come here and battle for a starting job? Or was it like, hey, we're going to need you to be ready every week because this guy's the franchise. And if he goes down, we're going to need you to step up. College football is a business. So if <laughs> if his player, like whoever the coach is, if his players don't perform, that coach will not have a job. It doesn't matter who the hell is out there. He's going to put you out there if you can win. So obviously Chase is the best hand we had. That's what recruiters have to tell recruits. Like they're not going to tell, they're not going to say, hey, Nick, you're going to be a backup. They told me, hey, look, we have Chase. He's the starter. But I mean, injuries happen every day. So it worked. I mean, it was a good sales pitch, but that's what they have to tell their recruits. Like it doesn't matter who it is. If it's Nick Saban, he's telling the same. He's going to tell all five quarterbacks he's recruiting hey, you have an opportunity to battle here. Be prepared. Like, it's the same thing everywhere. But yeah, that was the main thing. They said, hey, look, we have a starter, but we don't have any depth. So that's how, you know, that's how they recruited me. How was Chase toward you? Chase was awesome. Chase was awesome. He really was. Um, You know, a lot of times... Um, you'll hear about like NFL quarterbacks and college quarterback, like the starters being like goody two shoes towards other players. But he was just like so down to earth and we we would help each other. So like if he saw something that I didn't see, vice versa. So we would just help each other out. We spent eight hours a day together. So we you- still have a close bond. I was going to say, you probably learned so much that you could go out and dominate the flag football leagues now, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you never real... got to use all that shit you learned from yeah, it. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I may pull something, but I would still give it a, yeah, I'd still give intramural a go around. Talk about what Coach Rebo means to you. Man, Coach Rebo is like a dad to me. I mean, he's literally like a father figure to me. Like, even when I wasn't playing, even when I was just being a backup, I mean, he was always there to comfort me. And he, it's, it's, it's crazy to say this, but he never acted like a football coach. Like he was always like a mentor. He never seemed like a football coach. So that, that's what I really respected about the guy. Uh, he, he actually, you know, cares about his players and like what they're going through in life. So, so you've talked to him since you graduated. Yeah. I I tried to sell him some insurance, but he wouldn't buy any. (laughs) It's gotta be tough to keep up with all of your players right if you have what do y'all have maybe 20 kids graduating every year yeah just about there's that's so many kids it seems like it'd be hard to keep up but that's part of what makes him great right yeah that's literally what he he just he's turned that place around man um for those of you that don't know Nichols was probably the worst (laughs) college football team in the whole world and and now he has turned it into a uh FCS powerhouse um, and he's nearly upset Georgia and Texas A&M and he's um, upset Kansas so he's really just turned that place into a a, uh, a gold mine so to speak what is it about him he's a salesman man he could sell bread to Jesus honestly <clears throat> I don't know what it is he's a little dude he's a little fiery dude with white hair but that dude could I'm telling you, he he would be a good insurance salesman. Well, yeah, it's always my concern when somebody really succeeds at Nichols that they're going to go into the quote unquote private sector. That's what a lot of them do when they start to have a little success because there's so much money to be made in the private sector. And a lot of times Nichols can't afford to pay up. 
So let's hope that doesn't happen to Coach Reed. Yeah, I don't think kidding. it will. Do you notice in the real world that others don't have the same experience, the same collegiate experience that you had? Like, do you ever look around at your colleagues and say, yeah, you didn't play team sports? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I sound like a tool when I say this, but you don't have that dog in you, I guess. That's what a lot of people say. Like, he doesn't have that dog in him. So, yeah, you'll kind of look at people and they'll maybe like loafing around or moaning and be like, this dude's never been hit by 350 pounds. <laughs> Speaking of 350 pounds, talk about Ronald Ollie. He was the star of a Netflix show. And I, oh, I had a few conversations with him, mostly text messages after I spoke with you guys a couple years ago. But I know you have a good relationship with him. Talk about Ronald Ollie. Yeah, so we're actually from Mississippi, and we both played on the junior college ranks. Um, we actually played against each other in junior college, and then we ended up at Nichols together. And that dude, he is a character, man. He is hilarious. Like he is the class, the class clown everywhere he goes. And obviously, obviously, last chance you, um, everybody knows him. Like I remember him and I went to. Oxford, Mississippi one time. We went to Ole Miss just for one weekend. And this dude was getting more attention than the Ole Miss football players. <laughs> like little sorority girls are walking up to him like, oh my God, last chance you. Like selfie, selfie, selfie. So yeah, that guy, man, he's he's big time. And he's a good dude. And he's actually really talented. He can rap, man. He's got some bars when he raps. Like he's, he's good. And he actually has a, a playlist on Spotify and I think he's playing Canadian football right now. I was going to ask what's going to happen to him. Does he have a, a career on Netflix or is it more football or what, what's he going to do next? I th yeah, I would say it's more football. Um, Canada shut down their league or season. So, yeah, he's just looking for another opportunity right now. I see it right here. Raphael Dipri Perrin. Does that make any sense? I'm looking on Spotify. Oh, no. His his rap name is Romo Black. <laughs> okay. I'll check it out. You're in your mid-20s. You're 24, right? 23. 23. That's okay. Right. How do you guys most communicate? Oh, my gosh, man. You're going to laugh, but it's Snapchat. Snapchat. Literally. Eight, like 80% of my communication throughout the day, probably more, is with Snapchat. And is that just like text messaging on the app? Yeah, you can... So it's mainly, it was produced to send pictures, like to send selfies. I thought it was produced so that you could send nudes where well, it would disappear after three or four seconds. Well, Isn't yes, that how the but, app started? Yeah, there's some dirty people on there. No, but I'm saying I thought it was primarily for that reason when it first started. When I first heard about it, what was this, probably seven, eight years ago, it's as I understood, 12. that was how you could send a nude. And, you know, I send nudes twice, two or three times a day. Yeah. It would disappear, so you didn't have to worry about it being sent around after it was sent. Was that yeah. not the design of it? No, I mean, I mean, dude, I was like tenth grade when it came out. Okay, so yeah, that makes sense. I didn't have anything ago. like producing to send nudes, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it used to not have screenshot, so I could send a picture of myself in a tube sock to you, <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to to screenshot it. <laughs> Uh, what would you put on the other foot? Because you tuck, right? You're a tucker. 
I'm a grower, not a shower. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. We had a guy in high school who just texted me, actually, who had the reputation for having the biggest dong. And he was a, what did you call it? A grower, not a grower, shower. Grower, not a shower. Yeah. And we didn't figure out until we were in our 30s that, like, dude, you're not that big. You you just have one of those that's always big. And it never, when he gets yeah, ready. Torqued. It, yeah. It, it doesn't grow at all. And I didn't even know, we didn't know that was a thing until, like, there's so much shit that you don't know when you're 17 and there's no internet. So anyway, he had the reputation of a stud. And it turns out he's not that cool. He just has one of one of those, like, big... Like his personality isn't cool? No, he's a, well, he's kind of a dork, but I'm just saying, kind of he ball. was the dude with the big D in high school. Yeah. And he got that reputation, which is a pretty cool reputation to have. But... When he gets ready, it, it doesn't even get any bigger than what we've seen oh, in the locker room. Snap. Okay, I get what you're saying. So a Dude, grower, that'd be terrible. A grower is is different sizes at different times, right? Right, right, right. It looks different when you have when in the morning when you have to pee and you're bending over all weird, you yeah. know, like trying not to hit the floor. Yeah. Well, he's the same at all times. At any time it's the same. And we didn't know that was a thing. There's a lot of examples in life <laughs> where it's like, oh shit, we didn't know that. If we had known that in high school, like none of this would have happened. But yeah, you just have access to everything now. No kidding. So anyway, Snapchat is. Dude, that's this is a whole different rabbit hole you're trying to get into. Bro. I'm interested, though, because we grew up so differently. We didn't have social media. I didn't get on until 2011. We had MySpace in like 06. Yeah. Which so I was 26 <clears throat> years old. So when I was your age, it was texting was pretty new. I thought y'all would. uh put letters on doves and then like throw them <laughs> right yeah pigeons pigeons yes. yeah pigeons so snapchat used to have your top three best friends mm -hmm. so typically like your boo thing would be one we had that on myspace and then but tom was number one <laughs> and then brad and chad would be two and three but like see where we'd mess up and we i would say like my friend group like we would balance three and four out and four would be like the side piece girl. Mm. So like you would, you would try to snap Chad more than Cindy mm -hmm. at four. But then when Cindy showed up at three, boo things, you know, she's got the frying pan out trying to beat you. So you couldn't customize it to where you could keep your side piece out of the top three. It showed, it showed top three friends up until probably 2014. And then 2015, dude, you could Snapchat sarah palin if you wanted to like you could do whatever you wanted and that was a function of how much you communicated with your side piece that she would automatically yes. become top three so it's gauged off of points so every time you send a snapchat you get like three points or whatever i don't know what it is now but um so yeah like literally the majority of guys with girlfriends they'd have her at one tony at two uh bill at three and then it'd be some you know skeezer across town at four Tony's my sister-in-law's name. Oh, let's not bring her in. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. <laughs> that is so interesting to me. So it's changed now, but you guys stick with it. It seems like it would have become obsolete over time the way that Facebook has become for most people. I mean, how does a technology stay popular for seven years? They literally have an update probably every week. Mm. And I'll show you like the name of our group chat. I wouldn't say it over air, but... <laughs> So that, and that's, that's my, like seven of my best friends that I grew up with. So we talk every day and we're all across the U S so we'll all send a Snapchat. Like I'll send a Snapchat of me in Houston traffic, like a selfie. 
Yeah, like flicking them off, like mm. going to the money or something. Because it's cooler to do that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, my friend Luke, shout out to Luke. You've actually talked with Brad. So Luke will send a Snapchat of him doing whatever he does. And then uh, James is in New Orleans. So James will send a Snapchat of him. So it's cool, man. Like, it's so cool how you <laughs> – and you can add famous people on there. Like, some famous people have their um, public – like they'll have their Snapchat on public. So you could get a famous person into your group of seven? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. See, there's settings. So like some people, like say if you had the setting to which we all had, I'd add you, you'd have to add me back. But some um, celebrities have like a subscription. So all you gotta do is just click follow. Mm. They don't follow you back. You just looking, you're looking at like, it'd be like you, it'd be like me following you on Instagram and then you not following me back. Like that's all it is. Okay. What do you make of all these celebrities that put a phone number up and say, text me and I'll, I'll chat with you. I think that's baloney. Man. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I don't know who, like, I think Grant Cardone did it. He started that. I don't know if he started it or not, but like everybody, Bradley Martin, big YouTube guy, no, big no, muscle no, head. He did it like, Hey, text me. I mean, man, you know this guy's probably getting 10,000 text messages a minute. Well, Barack Obama did it recently. There's no way he's taking time to reply to everybody. Yeah. He could have two phones like Kevin Gates, though. (laughs) Who's Kevin Gates? You don't know who Kevin Gates is? He's a rapper, man. He has a song called Two Phones. Uh, You know I only got the baby on my Spotify. That's about it. Man, you listen to Run DMC. (laughs) I do. Oh, man. So you're on Instagram Facebook, I imagine. Yeah. Snapchat, Twitter. Twitter. The how whole much, the whole nine. Man. How much of your time does does that consume in a day? Oh my gosh. Like it feels like half my day is just well not at work, but like when I'm in the when I'm on the pot, like I'll be on Twitter. Do you think your virtual life is more real life and, and real life is more secondary? No. I, I keep a fine balance. Mm. Like I feel, I feel like my social skills are top of the line for someone my age. Like, and, and that's where, that's where insurance has helped because man, we have to call, like we would have to call random ass people, like people you've never even heard of. And you'd have to call them and they'd like cuss you out and hang up the phone on you. So that's where I feel like a lot of like, I'm just so comfortable talking to people, but yeah, I, I try to, I try to stay away from, as much as I can from social media nowadays. Do you have trouble talking to people your age because your social skills are so developed? I have noticed that ever since uh, we've started like coaching and I've started reading, but man, like I feel like a nerd every time I sit with somebody my age and tell them that I have a, like a mentor or coach. Cause like, they'll be like, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Nick? Like, Hey dude, I'm going to go read rich dad, poor dad. (laughs) And then they're they're like, hey, I'm gonna go to the titty bar. I get a lot of jokes, but I know what it's gonna do for me in the long run. I know I'm gonna excel them in the long run. Well, isn't it already starting to have major returns for you? All these things that you're doing. Yeah. yeah, and and I don't know if we're going off topic here, but this I had a I had a convo with this lady at work about this, about how the twenties are the weirdest time of your life because like when you're twenty three years old. You could be getting your master's. You could still be a, like a taking two victory laps at a university. You could still technically be in college. And then 
like I'm engaged. So I, I mean, but it's just crazy, man. Like how different people's lives are at 20. And, and that just goes to show like, stop trying to compare yourself to Sally Sue on Instagram that, you know, just, uh, just got proposed to or whatnot, but it just goes to show, man, like, you know, whoever you believe in, but I believe in God and I think God has different, you know, he, 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 everybody's running their own race is what I'm trying to say. So don't try to rush it and don't try to be like anyone else. So you feel like God has a plan for you. Yeah. Where did those values get instilled in you? Did your parents bring you up in the church? Yeah, I grew up, uh, well, I started off in a Presbyterian and then when I was about nine or 10, we switched to Methodist. So yeah, I've been going to a Methodist church really my whole life. And so did you feel a rush to grow up? Was it like a self-inflicted, I need to grow up, I'm out of school kind of thing? It Honestly, yeah. I felt like I needed to do it. I did it because I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. So you're, you have a propensity toward growth. And is your fiancé on the same page in that regard? I'm trying to get her on the same page with like the same values you're teaching me. And she's slowly starting to understand that. Where do you butt heads? Here's a great example. Here's a prime example. Buying a car versus leasing a car. And I know I know dang well that listeners out there or have may have this problem with their spouse, but I believe that you should especially at this age, like you don't have thousands of dollars in liquid cash. So I think you should just buy a hoopty or buy just a basic car and be done and just pay for it. Whereas not pay a two or $300 note on a car because you could use that two or $300 for a lot more beneficial things. So you were driving a used truck and then your parents offered to help get you a new car, correct? I was driving a, a Ford fusion. Like the most basic, like company car, um, 2012. But it wasn't a company car. Yeah, that's what my friends would be like. Hey, Nick, <laughs> sick company car. It bro. was, <laughs> it was paid off though. Yeah, I, I, I basically bought the whole thing for four grand. So you're driving a paid for car. You're living at home your first year out of college, right? Correct. So what you're making from your New York Life job, you're able to save. Yes. And were you investing also? Yes, I invested. At first, I was dabbling in the market. So I would buy cannabis stock or I'm trying to think of some some symbols that I bought. Aurora cannabis. That's really what I bought. Day trading, swing trading, whatever you want to call it. And you kind of shied me away from that because... It's just too risky to do that, especially with a low net worth. Because my net worth at the time, and even now, I mean, it's still not enough, not at this age, to put damn near 70% of your money into day trading. So what you made me realize is that an index fund um, or Vanguard fund. A Vanguard index fund. Vanguard index. VTSAX is actually it. And I put... Yeah, four or five. It's it's five now. It's actually grown. 
but it's five grand right now. And I'm going to keep it in there until I'm, you know, maybe your age, 85, however old you are. <laughs> I'm 82. But yeah, that's a great plan because an index fund is very diversified and it's very low cost. So these haven't been around a long time that you could invest automatically and so cheaply because what you want to stay away from is transaction fees. There's a taxable event when you sell a stock. You have to pay short-term capital gains tax when you sell a stock within a year of owning it. Yeah. So day trading is a bad idea anyway because most stocks go down in value and who are you to think that you can time the market? So it's it can be fun to do, but overall it's a poor strategy. I would see it more of a, as a learning experience if you're buying individual stocks, but you have to think holistically. And what I mean by that is look at your entire financial picture. How much money do you have? How many debts do you have? When you take your assets minus your liabilities, that's how you figure out your net worth. If your net worth is only, let's say, $10,000, by no means should you be taking several thousand dollars and buying individual stocks. How are you going to take 30% of your money and go buy a pharmaceutical stock? It's just yeah. unwise. But if you put that money into a diversified index or mutual fund, that thing's going to grow and you're going to be really grateful that you did when you're my age, 82, because those <laughs> those index funds, what they do is they self-cleanse. Like when a stock fails and it's kicked off the New York Stock Exchange, it's no longer going to be in the fund, if that makes any sense. So like if you buy an S&P 500 index, yeah. then companies don't stay in the S&P 500. They get kicked out. If you bought... 500 individual stocks, you'd still have to hold the losers even though they went bankrupt. But in this situation, you don't have to. It's self-generating, self-regenerating. So it'll kick up another good stock that's doing well up into your S&P 500 index. So that's really impressive that you decided to do that. And I should say too that you also take advantage of your retirement accounts, right? Don't you have a 401k? Yeah. So I started this job three weeks ago and I've already enrolled into my 401k. And Beautiful. Do they match? Yes. 8%. It's free money. So what you want to do then is money that you want to invest beyond the 401k because you want to take advantage of the free money. Money that you invest beyond that, you would put into like a Vanguard fund. And then you can automatically send money to that Vanguard fund every month. It can auto, you can auto invest it just like your 401k. And then if you want to get involved in real estate investing, which hopefully you'll yes, be doing at some so, point, then you can start generating some passive income by hopefully putting at least 20% down on a house. Maybe your first house, you house hack or you buy a starter home, quote unquote, with your wife. And then you end up turning that into a rental property someday because your income is going to start skyrocketing here pretty soon. I mean, yeah. you've already gotten a huge jump with this new job. So it's awesome to see. So Snapchat, side pieces, personal finance, journaling, books. Is there anything else you want to cover before we get into fun questions? Man, whatever you want to throw at me. I got hacked on Cash App. Really? $1,000. Lost $1,000 on Cash App. Yeah. Did you get it back? No. Hell no. I messaged the FBI. Damn, it's pretty cool. They have a message board on the website, FYI, in case. And then I actually called the FBI, and the dude was, like, taking notes. He was like, sir, what happened? 
You know, he probably thought it was a terrorist attack or something. I was like, dude, I lost $1,000 on Snapchat. I was like crying. <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. Like, he didn't think it was a big deal at all. And Did you say, I'm 22 years old? It's like, dude, that's like everything I have. <laughs> but, uh, no, so, goes back to Snapchat. So, I'm scrolling through Snapchat one day, and one of my good friends had posted on his story. So, he said, slide up if you want to make money. <laughs> just the, the 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 cheesiest trick in the book so i slid <laughs> up on it messaged him what i thought i was i thought i was messaging messy messaging him bank account number social security and all that he had already been hacked so i'm messaging this dude in atlanta georgia <laughs> so he was like hey man I thought I was talking the guy's name's Dave so I thought I was talking to Dave he's like Nick what's up dude you got to try this out put more than $500 on your cash app just in your don't send it to anybody just put it have it ready like that's what he said he said don't send it to anybody so I put it I got on my community bank app I got out like I, like everything I had in my savings I put in $1000 and I just left it on my cash app and the hacker, the guy I was talking to said, dude, all I need is your username and like your last four digits of your debit card. So I was like, okay, so how's he going to hack? So, you know, how's anything bad going to happen is what I was saying. So I sent it to this dude and <laughs> I talked with the guy and I was like, man, this isn't David. This guy's from Atlanta. And, uh, he logged me out of my cash app and took my $1,000. Why did you have to have the money in your cash app? Because he said he was going to, quote unquote, and I, I feel like an idiot for telling you this. He said he was going to, quote unquote, invest it in Bitcoin and triple my money. Ah. So he was like, yeah, man, I have the total right here. You put in 1000 and I see $3,600 return. I was like, shit, yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, You didn't me know me at that time, did you? Obviously not. Okay. Uh, so that so in my head, I'm like, dude, I'm about to put in the 3600 back and get you know six seven grand. But uh, yeah, that didn't work. And uh, yeah, that was probably the. This was right before we started talking. So you can obviously see my life was like headed down a a long dusty road. It is funny. I there are some guys who only date 22 year old women because. They like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay. So where do you see yourself when you are, let's say, 30 years old? All right. So when I'm 30 years old, I want to be, first and foremost, I want to be a father. Um, I want to be that, like, ripped dad at, like, softball games that, like, cussing out my kid. Hell yeah. You know, with, like, baby gap cutoff t-shirts. Yeah. I want to be that kind of dude. Abercrombie. <laughs> Aeropostale. No, in all seriousness, I want to be a mentor, one, and then a manager or a CEO of a company. So, are you going to buy a house in Houston, you think? Start the, the next move would to be rent. I'm going to stay in this studio for as long as I can, and then that's going to be the next big decision is to, to buy a house. When are you getting married? July of 2021, about a year. And so, is she going to live with her parents until y'all are married? Yes. And once you're married, are you going to live in the studio apartment where you are now? 
Yes, that is the plan. Studios are tough. We don't even stay man, in studios around the world because... It's just so cramped, man. And yeah. it's it, like... I guess I'm I'm somewhat of an introvert. I, and being an only child, man, like I used to just play with like action figures all day and just be to myself. And <laughs> and she she has siblings, so she's used to camaraderie and uh, and it's not a bad thing. It's just that you know you need your space, like you need your quiet time, your me time. So yeah, no, you're you're spot on with the studio. Like it's important to have a large area of where you can hang out in a room and just get away. Yeah, or even work or have a phone call or... Because that's healthy. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I could see doing it on vacation, but to live full-time in a studio, it's Man. that's some European stuff there. <laughs> I mean, this place right here, it's, it's perfect in my mind because I can be in the kitchen, she can be in the bedroom, I can be in here. Heck yeah. So we always search Airbnb to ensure that there's at least a separate room where I can do some work. Any kids that you plan to have? Two. Two? Two. Hopefully two. Hopefully like a Peyton Manning and then an Eli Manning. Dude, y'all got some genes, right? Because I was some scrolling avatar, through Twitter. Avatar babies. Wasn't your fiance like the offensive player of the week in the Southland Conference? She was a volleyball player, huh? That's a that's a bad B word. Yeah. She's, she, she's the real deal. Is she a better athlete than you? Oh, hell yeah. It's not even close. Her vertical's like... She's jumping out of the gym, man. Like she's yeah. got an MJ. I hate to compare my. I, I hate to compare anybody with Michael Jordan, but like she's she's got some hops. How did you meet her? Uh, we met on vacation. Get out it's of crazy, here, man! You had some balls to walk up Kids to her and, and give her daps and say, "What's good, girl?" Dude, I, I mean, I could walk up to Jennifer Anderson if you needed me to. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I just you, I had some liquid confidence too. You yeah. know, I had something in my in my system, so. Uh, that obviously helped, but yeah, I walked up to her and I think she was kind of creeped out at first by how like open I was, but hey man, she was, she was a dime. You saw staring across the room and did y'all dance or how did it go down? So we met at, at, uh, at the beach and then later that night we put our boogie shoes on and went to dance and then, um, we just stayed in contact after that. What, what beach were you at? <sighs> Panama city. And it was this spring break? Yeah, this is uh, spring break of 2018, actually. Get out of here. It's crazy, man. And it, now you're engaged September 2020 or October 2020. It goes back to social media, though, how easy it is to stay in contact and FaceTime. And Did y'all have a chance to like spend a lot of time with each other to where at least you'd have a fight before you committed to moving to Houston? Yeah. yeah. We, we did. Uh, last Christmas, I stayed at their house for two months. felt like I moved in with them. And then during quarantine i stayed for like three months yeah we just put our boxing gloves on and and you know go mike tyson with each other if we disagree with stuff so what's a young couple fight about man it's just stupid crap give me an example i mean i'm just kind of a a, a nuisance to her like i'll just like i'll fart under the covers or something and then like put the covers over her head or do girls fart she's never farted is that a problem, you think? I think it is. Girls are mimetic, and you learn this traveling around the world. They just copy each other. So if some yeah. girl thinks that it's cool to burp, or if some girl thinks that 
it's cool to eat. Like you ever see notice this obsession they have with eating now? That's that's social Tony eats media. First. <laughs> that shit, yeah. It's it's social media driven. Uh, that's the exactly fact that right. tall guys are attractive. Like I had to hear that on dates about tall guys, <laughs> and I'm like, this is a new thing, and you don't realize it. I mean, I understand being attracted to to height and status and income and all that, but for it to be an an openly talked about deal where yeah. they always want food or they want the tall guy or it, it, it's just social media driven. And, and I don't know that there's self-awareness to realize how mimetic it is, but <laughs> cultures develop for a reason. It's because you pretty much women don't tend to know what they want. They want what other women want and guys are that way to some extent, but girls more so. Yeah. They're, they're weird creatures, man. Do you think they're attracted to men's, willingness to fart at any time knowing that they really can't get away with it like that freedom think, that we have i've had a topic like them. this i think girls like guys that kind of are rebels you know they're kind of rebellious and farting would be that absolutely that's yeah. childish but i mean well, i'm not maybe I, I mean i'm sure you do it oh i don't you'd have to ask my wife <laughs> The first night we ever spent together, I ripped real bad, and, and really? she she couldn't believe it. She thought that I was trying to be funny, and she waited for me to wake up, and I didn't. It's probably that Yorkie you ate in Asia. <laughs> yeah, it kind of gives off the vibe, like the maybe the cocky, the cocky funny guy that doesn't give a shit. Like it's probably See, that's that like yeah, and and is attractive. I think girls like guys who are comfortable in their own skin. I think that is the best. My friends and I used to play games like at bars where they would always like we'd bet one another like, hey, you go to this nine or ten and just say the most crazy shit. And like you'd be so scared saying it to her, mm -hmm. but she'd think it's the funniest thing ever because like she respects that you don't give a shit. I think that I really think that's how women think. I, I mean, I'm not uh, Mari or Jerry Springer by any means, but I literally <laughs> think that's how. No, you're right. Confidence is, is an aphrodisiac. The cocky, funny guy is attractive because he doesn't give a shit. It's the guy who is too self-conscious about what he says and minding his P's and Q's and treating her like a princess. You can't be perfect. You just got to be yourself. Like That's the best advice I could, I could give people. Yeah, um, but it's hard for a guy to relax because he finds the one that he really likes and he, he you pedestalizes be her. Yeah, he you... wants to believe that she's virginal and innocent and virtuous and treats her like such and may quickly find out that that's not how she wants to be treated, contrary to what she tells you. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, guys have to figure a lot of this stuff out on their own, unfortunately. Yeah, man. 100%. Do you think guys are more feminine uh, your age? They have less testosterone than guys my age? Man, honest, I think so. <laughs> of course they do. I think so. <laughs> yeah, you can mock me for being 82, but you guys don't have quite you're, testosterone. You're a, jack, you're a jackrabbit, man. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. There's, some, there's some kids my age that I've come across. I'm like, it's almost like, Clay Aiken-ish, you know, like very... Yeah. The first time you saw pornography on the internet, how old were you? Wow, man, I was probably... So, I was like six years old. My friend told me, my friend was over at my house. We had just old desktop computer. 
and he told me about this website. It was called like Big Guns. I know, right? <laughs> so I typed it in. Dude, it's the most Mississippi shit ever. It's these naked chicks with like raccoon skin hats on holding like dead animals with like, you know, everything hanging out. Mm. And my parents, obviously, were sick, so we didn't know. We were just like, whoa. My parents walked in, got a whooping, whatever. And then, yeah, so that, that I'll never forget that. It was like six or seven, probably. That's crazy. And so did your parents put restraints on internet usage? No. No, it was wide open. No, it was wide open. So when you were like 9, 10, 11, did you and your buddies talk about seeing naked women on the internet all the time? Oh, heck yeah. We, so, knew, we, we knew what the birds and bees was at such a young age, but like I knew what it was at such a young age, but I just asked my dad just for like, just to see what his answer would be. Like I had known about it for two years and then I asked my dad about it and I was like, whoa, are you serious? Just act surprised. But. <laughs> and so are you desensitized to it by the time that you're old enough to do those things with girls? Like after you've seen it for you know, I imagine you've seen it for like seven or eight years. And then do you become desensitized, like to where you wish you had not seen it on the Internet? Not really. I think it it prepared you. Like, I think it really prepared, like because when you actually did the, the real thing, like you actually knew what to do. And they probably knew what to do, too. No, I, I don't think girls. I don't mm. think they watched it, man. I re- not not I guess not in my community. I mean, I don't recall of any girls because I would ask them like in high school. I'm like, hey, look, are y'all having the same problem I'm having? <laughs> They're like, no, that's sick. Hmm. So, I think I don't think girls watch it as much as as guys do. But, hmm. um, I mean, I guess it's so normal for a high school kid to do it and college kid to do it. But it helps you so much. Like I would advise kids that watch it take a break from it for a month and you will feel so much better like you you will you actually think straight you won't you won't have anxiety that's the biggest thing as far as anxiety goes but you would just think like a normal person if you take a break from it what is the the fuel free anxiety how does that work do you think i think it's hereditary that personally but how do you relate it to the computer usage there's something in your brain that when you watch pornography, it it gives it like a false sensation. Like it just teases your brain. That's what the research I've done. It teases your brain. You waste your time and energy on it. That's what we've talked about. You waste a lot of energy on it. Because, I mean, sometimes you can, I mean, watch it for an hour, like, of some stupid video. But, yeah, man. Endless novelty. Exactly. Um, but it's crazy. Like it's, it's crazy. Like my kids, I mean, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when my kids are my age, like they're going to probably have like legit robots that you could rent or, I mean, I can't even imagine. So, so do your friends talk about it being a problem? Like, is that a common thing that you guys (coughs) talk about how to overcome it? Yes. So great question. Even my single friends, like I've talked with my groomsmen about this uh, because half or the majority of them are single. And, and I'll ask some of them like, hey, you know, do y'all still do this stuff? And they're like, no, man, like, 
you know, in college and high school, yeah, it's cool. But I think once you get to 22 or 23, I think it starts to get, you just start to grow out of it. You start to like actually put your time and effort into dating. I have a friend who coaches young professionals and was telling me that a lot of times they'll have girls begging them to come over, but they would rather play video games. And my friend was telling me that, like, come over to have sex. And and they would rather play video games than have sex. Has... Have your friends had trouble with video game addictions? Mm. Because video games are so good. Dude, Fortnite and Apex, man. I don't think they... I think they would turn their video games off, knowing my friends. I think they would chase chase tail. Mm. Just knowing my friends. They're some horn dogs, so... (laughs) Are they getting married young like you are? Most Uh, of your friends? Yeah, so Luke's having a kid. Wow. Congrats, Luke. But that's it as far as, like, close friends... Him and I. What's the driver for you getting married so young? Does it just feel like the natural thing to do now that you've finished college? Is that maybe what your parents did? Do they do that in your small town? The reason I ask is because... It's trending. When, like, Is it? it? It's trending. Trending back toward getting married younger? Do you feel like yeah. it's gone the other way? Like The joke is every time you look on Instagram, somebody's getting married or somebody's getting proposed to. Why do you think it's trending? Because I wouldn't have said trending because to me, when I was coming out of school, it was natural to do what you did. But then over the last probably five oh, to, well, to 12 years, it it became a trend to become a, a young urban professional, what they call a yuppie, yeah. and live in inner cities and live the New York City life, even in places like Houston. So yeah. that's why I ask. Yeah. I mean... It's, it's every time I'm on social media, somebody's getting engaged to, and I wanted to do it because one, I realized that this woman is somebody I can grow with and that's going to be able to put up with my bull crap and I'll be able to, to definitely provide for her. And, and another thing I like, I love her family too. Her family has been awesome to me. Um, but I don't know, man. She have a brother. Yes. Are you more successful than him? Yes. That's important. And they say it doesn't matter how successful you are. Do you do better than her brother? That's the, that's well, the gauge. On paper, his degree is, I mean, his degree is pretty superior. But as far as having a financial grasp of how to save money and how to, like, I've got him beat. It's not even close. So 10 years from now, you'll be much wealthier than him. Yeah, now he may have six boats that he's paying notes on. I mean, or whatever, a hunting ranch. But like, I'll probably, I'll probably still be driving that thing right there outside the Forerunner and until the wheels fall off. So, do you think if you were still playing football, y'all would be taking a knee right now? Man, great question. Depends on what. That would have to just depend on what Coach Rebo said. Because what he would say would go. Yeah. And I'm sure... We would we would have to work out some type of pact or agreement. Because the majority of a locker room is African-American. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. Like, that's just a fact. And playing football, 
that's that's what's so great about football in general that like I, I came from a private school I had everything I ever asked for parents bought my car um, whenever I needed gas money my mom would give me a hundred bucks whenever I needed money for food and going to college like a lot of my teammates man they didn't have that luxury like their scholarship was their only way to a free education like if I wanted I could have gone to Ole Miss or Mississippi State and just party my been Johnny frat boy but I wanted to chase a dream and and I'm so glad I did that because you realize that I've learned how to make relationships and build relationships with people from completely different backgrounds and all be of one heartbeat So you think Rebo would have had you guys take a knee? I want to say yes, and I want to say no. <laughs> you, you really don't know, huh? I really don't know. That's that is a that is a probably the toughest question you've ever asked me. <sighs> Maybe so. I've heard some people say that if there were people in the stands right now that you couldn't get away with taking a knee because there'd be too many boos, and I find that interesting an interesting thought experiment i've tried to argue with somebody about this because like i said i understand the african-american culture because shoot man majority of my friends are african-american i completely understand what how colin kaepernick started it i completely understand because he's looking at it through his eyes he's looking at it from a black man's eyes and like white people we don't understand that because like i majority of my friends went to private school like they don't understand that they've never been in a locker room with a kid from uh the ninth ward of new orleans or anything like that so like i'm just so grateful i got to experience that you're from the deepest part of the south deepest jackson mississippi is 87 percent african-american and Mississippi, I'm sure in Mississippi, I'm sure they still fly Confederate flags. Yes, yes. And and actually, when I was going to Ole Miss football games as a kid, the KKK would protest during games outside of the student union. They would have they would have the Grand Wizard, like the guys dressed up in the black kit. I mean, everything. The Grand Dragon, the Grand Wizard, and then all the other white. And then another thing, a, a short story I'll tell you. I was at a hunting camp when I was in eighth grade. One of my best friends. This is in Taylorsville, Mississippi, which is down south. And he has every hunting camp has a bulletin board with all the deer that were killed and from years back. There was a KKK business card on the bulletin board of a local guy because this was a, this we would have annual dove hunts. So you dove hunt in the field and you meet back and cook all the doves. And I guess one of those guys was a Klansman and he gave it to my friend's dad card and my friend's dad couldn't believe it. I mean, the guy's not a racist. He was just like, Holy shit. Like it's still alive, man. So he, he had that. I'll never forget that. It had the outline of a KKK costume. I can't remember the saying, but Yes, I, I I realize I know what's going on in the dirty South. How bad is it when you hear racism in America, when you hear our media talking about racism or when they're asking Trump to denounce white supremacists, 
what comes to your mind? It's alive, man. It is, it is still out there. Um, it's alive and everyone's got to realize that everyone is the same person. We're just all grow up in different parts of life. Um, we all bleed the same blood. Um, doesn't matter what nationality or where you come from. Like you should just have one goal on your mind and that should just grow. Do you think the part of Louisiana where you went to school is different from the part of Jackson of Mississippi and Jackson where you grew up in terms of race, race relations? Um, I didn't really encounter any racism in, in Louisiana. I didn't really witness any of it. Man, that's that's what I liked about Nichols. Everybody was so close with each other. And and our head coach made that a top priority. There was no, I did not see a fight in the locker room. I didn't see you know anything getting stolen, just anything petty. Everyone got along whether you know you were a scout team player or a starter, whether you're black or white, like everybody got along. Everybody spoke the same language. Do you think that your generation is going to eradicate racism? Or is it just so deeply embedded in the, in the part of the world where you're from? I think it's just so embedded. It's, it's sad, man. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's how, it's just crazy. It's how a lot of kids are just raised. Like, it's how the parents, you know, bring up the kids. And is it both ways? Do you think the blacks are, are raising their kids to be racist against whites yeah. and, and whites racist against yeah. blacks? I would say so. Mm. Because and, that's that's a great – I'm glad you brought that up because I remember in college, you know, I'd be sitting in a room with 10 of my black teammates and we'd be talking about that. They'd be like, Nick, how are you raised to, like, look at black people? I'm like, dude, I'm cool with everybody, like – my my maid's African American. She raised me. So, um, and then they'd be like, you know, they they'd share their their side of the story. So it was very interesting, man. It was very interesting. What about weed? Are you a weed guy? Um, not not like I used to. You said you, I was going to say you said you have a lot of black friends. I don't think you're <laughs> you're avoiding weed in your life. <laughs> no, nah, I've been around the. Uh, the uh, devil's lettuce. Were you guys Mary tested Jane. In, in college? Junior college, we were tested. Um, let's just say I was the, you know, when you're a white kid on a football team, you're going to be clean a lot of times. So I was the guy that I was the pisser. I was the best pisser in the league. <laughs> so they would, they would, uh, and one of these guys is actually, I'm, I'm not going to say any names. This guy's actually in the NFL now, which is pretty cool. So. You know, if you're listening to this, you can, you know, send me your signing bonus. But, but, <laughs> yeah, something. but uh, he handed me a travel shampoo bottle. He said, hey, man, piss in this bottle. So I piss in the bottle, <laughs> use it, clean as a whistle. Do they, they don't test at the NCAA level? So Coach Rebo, he said they would test, but we never got tested. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so... <laughs> I don't really know what to comment on that, but when I never got tested at Nichols. Even we got tested, baseball players. Were you guys tight with the baseball team? No. I don't think I don't think any college football player 
Like, I don't care if you're at Clemson or Alabama or wherever. Like, I don't think the baseball players and football players get along. Really? No. Oh, we got along great with our football Did y'all really? Yeah. In fact, I'm still friends with some of them. So, there's one kid, actually, I was really cool with, Lee Clark. I would try to talk to him. And, uh, I mean, it was like they had a Louisville slugger, like, still stuck up their ass from practice that day, you know? That's That was the perception of the baseball guys? They were just kind of yeah. stuck up? And I don't know if it was the trend or D-ball that you guys, you know, like to shoot up. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Steroids. But, uh, dude, I don't know what it was. I'd, I'd try to talk to them, and they'd be like, they wouldn't even talk back. So I was like, damn, man, that's mm. crazy. What about 4K? They had to talk to him, huh? Oh, dude. Chase could talk to anybody. Chase got along with anybody, man. He's a, he's a household name. Did you talk to Coach Thibodeau at all, the baseball coach? He was cool. Was he? Yeah, he's a cool dude. It's like baseball players run more than any other sport. Like, they run more than soccer players and basketball players. And basketball players run a lot, by the way. But, yeah, I don't know. I never understood that. Like, after a pitcher threw a long game, you'd have to run foul poles. And they're like, oh, get the lag lactic acid out i don't i don't think that's i think that's bullshit yeah there's a lot of dread associated with playing baseball and running like people would decide kids would decide where to go to school based on how much running they do at the school so it's definitely a thing and it's well known that junior colleges run you to death and then you get a little bit of a break at a d1 school yeah and like you watch major league baseball baseball players Big Poppy, like you think Big Poppy gets on a treadmill and does no. Zumba or anything? Manny Ramirez, he's not running. Barry Bonds, see Barry Bonds was he was just hitting that D ball. He, <laughs> he was for sure. He was jacked. Yeah, I had a guy on recently that that knew Barry Bonds, or he worked out at the gym with him. I listened to that. Yeah, he was saying that his forty time was like a four three. That at, sounds like at something. like two forty. Yeah, like you'd have one interaction with Christmas. Barry Bonds, and that's what he would talk about as himself and how fast he ran. Yeah. What's the fastest uh, 40 you ever ran? Dude, I was slow as Christmas. What about high school? Were you the, the stud at like a 3A school? Yeah, I was a stud. Yeah? Four-year starter? White, white boys making some noise, man. No, I was a two-year starter, actually, at Jackson Academy. And which schools were looking at you? Okay, so out of high school, I was an academic non-qualifier. What does that mean? So to qualify for the NCAA, um, you have to have a certain GPA with a certain ACT score. So that's why I always joke with people. I'm like, dude, I'm from Mississippi. I'm slow. But my GPA was terrible. My GPA was a 2-2. Granted, we were at the hardest school. We were at a private school. Uh, 2-2. GPA, 18, ACT, you're not qualifying. It's a sliding scale, so it's all worked on us. So you could have a 2-5, uh, and I think it's changed now, but at the time it was, you had to have a 2-5 with an 18 on your ACT. So if you had a 2-2, you'd have to have a 23 or whatever it may be. So that wasn't cutting it. Division three schools, Bellhaven, Millsaps, which, I mean, I didn't see any point. I was like, dude, I might as well just go play intramural football and smoke cigs <laughs> um but so i took the junior college route because literally that's the only thing i could do because that's what they take they take kids that you know are academic non-qualifiers cool let's do some fun questions because my wife is waiting at the coffee shop 
Yeah, let's do some. All right. So, social media, net positive or net negative for society? Net negative. Why? Everybody, man, everybody tries to compare themselves to Dan Blazarian and Brad Martin and all these. What's the appeal of Blazarian? What's not the appeal of Blazarian? (laughs) This guy's got AK-47s and... Victoria's Secret models besides them. I mean... What keeps you from pursuing that life? That could be you in eight years. Yeah, but I don't think... I don't think we as humans are just... This is Personally, what I believe is, like, you're just not supposed to chase material items. It's empty. It's empty. Like, you're always going to want more. So, that's why. I mean, it's... Look, it seems cool. Some days, I want to just drop what I'm doing and go, you know, slide them a DM... Like, hey, can I crash at your place, Dan? And like, you, know, you can show me the robes, but yeah, man, I'm just gonna keep living, living my life. When is the first time you got a phone? Oh, sixth grade. It was a sidekick or a uh, it was a slide phone, but it was lime green. So I caught a bunch of crap for that, but yeah, it was like a lime green but slide you could, phone. You could text your, you could text your friends. Yeah, and it wasn't predictive text either. Do you remember predictive text? This was slide and had a keyboard. And like you would try to take pictures, but it would just come out, you know, terrible quality every time. So, in your view, is not wanting something just as good as having it? Not wanting something just as good as having it. I believe that you need to bust your tail for whatever you want in your life. That, that only makes it more satisfying. That's all I'm going to say there. If somebody dropped a million dollars in your lap tomorrow, what would you do with it? See, since you're sitting here, I got to answer it like a, you know, like a scholar kid. But <laughs> like if you'd asked me a year ago, I probably would have bought a Gallardo or whatever and gone to Dubai. But um, I'd probably, it sounds cliche, but I would probably give like half of it to my parents. I'd probably give half of it to my parents and then just tuck the rest away. As hard as that would... See, I'm lying, man. I would probably have to spend that on something. Honestly. Like what? I don't know. A new truck would be cool. You know, like Texas, like the stereotypical truck is an F-250, so an F-250 with maybe like a Ted Nugent sticker on the back. (laughs) Well, why don't we get you started in real estate investing? How about that? Yeah. With a million dollars. I figured you'd say that. (laughs) (laughs) What brings you the greatest joy in life? Helping others succeed. If somebody gave you $100,000 and forced you to invest it in three companies, Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, how would you allocate the $100,000? I'd probably put all of it in Tesla, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, same dollar amount, but you're forced to allocate it toward gold or Bitcoin. Oh my gosh, Bitcoin. 100000 in Bitcoin? Yeah. With the way, with how tr- how much it's trending on Twitter, and after the guys like we've came in contact with, I think Bitcoin may be the way to go. What percentage chance do you think that the president contracting coronavirus was an assassination attempt. If you had to put a percentage on it, that it was an assassination attempt, how likely is that? I'd say like 
see, I don't want to say anything too crazy, but um, 51%. Yeah. What percentage chance do you think Trump didn't actually have coronavirus? How likely? That's a curveball. Yeah, that that is a that is a curveball. How likely is it that he didn't have it? Do you think it's likely? I think it could be likely. What percentage chance do you think Donald Trump has of being reelected? A legit chance. Put a percentage on it. Seventy. Do you have a favorite book? Shoe Dog at the moment. Shoe Dog is excellent. Man, I can't put it down. The story of Phil Knight. I can't wait till you get to the page that had me saying, holy shit, out loud. I cannot put that book down. I've never said that before reading a book, and it just came out of my mouth. This dude was 24 years old and got to see damn near every country. Like, I'm so jealous of that guy. That could be you. Hell yeah. You're doing well. Do you have a favorite podcast? I think think everyone's going to know this answer because... I mean, it's cliche, but I would have to say Joe Rogan or um, big sports guy. So uh, the bus with Taylor Lewan plays offensive tackle for the um, Tennessee Titans. He holds his podcast in like a little like 1970s bus. It's <laughs> hilarious. What is your favorite episode of this podcast? Oh, the one with the cartel guy, Jorge Valdez. What has been your favorite part of this episode? How uncut it is. (laughs) I feel like people out there listening, I feel like if you have an opportunity to be on a podcast, definitely hop on that opportunity (laughs) because you can get a lot of things off your chest. (laughs) This is therapeutic for you? It's so therapeutic. (laughs) Okay, let's play overrated or underrated. I'm going to give you a name and then you tell me if you think they're overrated or underrated. Mark Cuban. Underrated. Colin Kaepernick. Underrated. Tom Brady. Underrated. Deshaun Watson. Underrated. Bill O'Brien. Way overrated. He just got fired today, by the way. <laughs> so the James Jim Kramer. Underrated. Maria Bartiromo. Overrated. Ivanka Trump. Overrated. Bill Clinton. Overrated. Donald Trump Jr. Overrated. Nick, this has been fun, man. We'll do it again sometime. I appreciate you coming out here. How can people connect with you online? So, my Instagram handle is... Nick Conley 16 and Facebook is obviously Nick Conley and then uh, Twitter is Twitter is Nick 14 Conley C-O-N-L-E-Y Nick Conley everybody I told you that would be a fun episode let's talk about a key takeaway one of the things that really stands out to me from my conversation with Nick is how his peers make fun of him for being someone who at just 23 years old takes his life very seriously. It happens often when you're young that when you're in growth mode, 
when you go to work on yourself to build your ambition and ultimately achieve big things and, and achieve mastery at a very young age, you're going to make other 20-somethings uncomfortable. That's part of the deal. It's the old crabs in a bucket theory. They see a crab crawling out and they're like, hey, get back in here. Stay down with us. Because your leveling up is forcing them to think about what they could be doing, but they're not doing. When I was 25, an old high school friend got in my car one night and noticed that I had been listening to a Brian Tracy CD on goal setting. He was waving the CD in the air and laughing at me, asking, what are you doing, bro? He thought my listening to a CD on goal setting was hilarious. Do you know that about 12 years later, he sent a group message on Facebook pleading with some of us to visit the restaurant where he worked so that we could sit in the area of the restaurant where he was waiting tables. True story. So you've got to be strong-willed when your peers are partying three to four nights a week and keep your head down. When the masses are going one way, you want to go the other way. Don't go where they go. Don't watch what they watch. Don't talk about the dumb shit they talk about. Head to the gym instead. Go for a walk. Pick up a book. You should always be reading something. There should always be a book on your nightstand. Why? Because if you do what most people are doing now, you're going to be doing what most people are doing 10 years from now. And that's not what we're after. Anybody can live an average life, but we want to live a bigger life. And the best way to guarantee yourself a mediocre life is to do what everybody else is doing. So you've got to be different. Friends, I thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode with Nick, please copy the link and send it to a friend. If you're someone who has left a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, big thank you. That is probably the most supportive thing you can do for the show, so I appreciate it. Thank you. If you wish to follow my adventures on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks. 